Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to part two of Unnatural. A part two, a two-parter episode, second part. Part two of Unnatural or part two of the disappearance of the Solder Children? Part two of the disappearance of the Solder Children. I had, I didn't, I forgot, I forgot. You forgot their names or? Yeah. Or their last name, yeah. Well, that's okay because I'm going to remind you as I will the rest of our audience, because as you mentioned, this is a two-parter. And as we always say with these two-parters, if you haven't listened to part one, go do that. Otherwise, you're probably going to be a bit confused here. But before we dive deeper into the rabbit hole, let's give a quick recap, shall we? We shall. On Christmas Eve 1945... The Sodder household of Fayetteville, West Virginia, was emblazoned with a fire that destroyed the family's home and presumably killed five of their children. However, strange coincidences the night of the fire and in the days afterward point to a larger conspiracy at hand. The family's ladder, which could have saved the children who were thought to be in the attic at the time, Mm -hmm. was missing. And it was later found down a 70-foot embankment. George Sodder's two work trucks that were working just fine the days before the blaze were also inoperable. The phone lines for the entire town had been cut just moments before the fire by a mysterious man who was let go and not even thoroughly questioned. And most importantly, none of the bones of the five Sodder children were found. Not even any fragments. Which is weird. No teeth. Nothing. The local authorities said that the bones were incinerated by the flames. But that's something experts say would be nearly impossible for a house fire to accomplish. So what happened to the Sodder children of West Virginia? Why did their parents, George and Jenny, keep holding out hope? And why do some people believe that this case leads to the Italian Mafia? Part two of the disappearance of the Tsadar children continues right now. So in our last episode, I spoke a bit about the ineptitude of the Fayetteville Fire Department. You remember the fact that it took them seven hours to arrive to the Sodder's home. Mm -hmm. The fact that the fire chief didn't know how to drive a fire truck. So weird. Who could forget that? What is this again? 45? Yeah, 1945. And also the fact that with no credible evidence or really little credible evidence the fire department almost immediately concluded that the five solder children died in the fire (laughs) well emily that ineptitude continued in the weeks and months to come (laughs) the fire department had initially told the solders that the cause of the fire had been a faulty electrical fuse 
yet this was almost instantly met with skepticism by George and Jenny as they had seen the downstairs lights and Christmas tree lights working just fine mm-hmm. as they were fleeing their burning home, which kind of would kind of indicate that the electricity was working fine. And as it turns out, they had good reason to be skeptical because evidence soon emerged after that, that the fire had been set deliberately. A man who was driving a bus through Fayetteville that night came forward and said that he was driving past the solder home when he had witnessed what looked like people throwing balls of fire onto their roof. Now, remember in our last episode when I mentioned that Jenny had heard that thud on her roof of what sounded like a ball hitting it and tumbling back down to the ground? This could be what that was. Could it? It could. And a few months later, the bus driver's story seemed to be corroborated when after the snow melted, George and Jenny's youngest daughter, Sylvia, had been wandering around the area playing because Jenny had decided to kind of build a memorial garden on the site. Mm -hmm. And she found something in the brush. It was a dark green ball-like object that was later described to be something akin to a pineapple bomb or some sort of homemade hand grenade. Also, the fire chief who, let me just say, I don't think this guy had anything to do with the fire, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with it. I just think he was an idiot who wanted this case to go away. So this guy, Chief Morris, confessed to the local minister in the town that despite his initial conclusion that none of the children's remains were found in the fire because they had all turned to ash, well, he said he did actually find something. What did he find? According to him, he found a human heart. A what? What? According to him, Chief Morris, he found this human heart in the debris right after the blaze. That makes no sense. Exactly. You mean to tell me that all the bones had been completely vaporized, yet somehow a random internal organ survived the blaze? The math ain't math in here, guy. I feel like I know a lot of guys that are like this guy. (laughs) Chief Morris claimed that when he found the heart, he put it inside a metal box. Mm Mm-hmm. And buried it on the property, not wanting to disturb the Sodders any more than they already were disturbed. That was his reasoning, he said. Well, once George heard of this, he and a local private investigator he had hired confronted the fire chief. Surprisingly, the chief agreed to take them to retrieve the box. And sure enough, There was, in fact, a small metal box buried where he said it would be, except it wasn't a human heart inside. It was a beef liver. Uh, (laughs) Okay, but I still want to know how it survived. The beef liver? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was never there to begin with. He put it there afterwards. Oh. So. I was confused. I was like, okay, it's still like soft tissue. He planted it there. 
And it's like, my guy, why in the hell? Why in the hell would you go to the trouble of planting this box in the ground and spreading the rumor that one kid's one of the kids' hearts was inside of it, only to put a beef liver inside of it instead? Because he probably got got the beef liver from the local butcher's shop, right? Right. So why wouldn't he just ask for a heart instead? Right. Were they like, oh, we're we're all out of hearts. You want a liver? Ah, sure, I guess. Same thing. Probably, but even <laughs> still, like they would probably be able to figure it out that it wasn't even a human heart. They did. Yeah, they did figure it out. This fire chief has got to be one of the leading candidates for the Darwin Award. I would say <laughs> this guy, idiot. Um. So it was later said that Chief Morris admitted that the box with the beef liver hadn't come from the fire. Surprise, surprise. But it was placed there deliberately by him so that the Sodders would move on with their lives and be satisfied that their kids had died in the fire. That was his reasoning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just can't Mm -hmm. believe this guy. Yeah. George also was busy around this time. He was trying to get anybody involved who he could, including the Federal Bureau of Investigation, because he said it was a kidnapping. Therefore, a kidnapping of this sort of magnitude would warrant FBI attention. And believe it or not, FBI director at the time, a guy you might have heard of before, J. Edgar Hoover, he personally responded to George Sodder and said, quote, Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. If the local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, he added, mm-hmm. he would, of course, direct agents to assist, but... The Fayetteville Police Department and Fire Department never did so because, again, one could argue they just wanted this to go away. So with all of this evidence of a kidnapping taking place that Christmas Eve, the question you're probably asking yourself at this point is why? Yeah. What was the motive? Why would they just take these kids? Well... Some people in later years would point to the fact that George Sodder, the guy had made some enemies around town. Mm -hmm. And that was mainly because of his outspoken criticism of the former fascist dictator of Italy, Benito Mussolini. Okay. Who, fun fact, died by firing squad earlier that year. As he should have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't on the Hitler and Stalin level, but he was just below it, I would say. Yeah. So you see, George Sodder was born and raised in Italy. He came to the United States at the age of 13 with his older brother way back in 1895. He cleared customs at Ellis Island. Some even said that that's where he met Jenny at Ellis Island because she had immigrated to the U.S. as well. And eventually, the couple, of course, moved to West Virginia. Now, George never spoke much about why he left Italy, 
but he was outspoken about its government, especially during World War II, as the fascist government behind Mussolini had kind of aligned itself with Adolf Hitler and the Nazis of Germany. And George wasn't afraid of speaking his mind about how much he detested Mussolini and how this dictator was ruining his homeland. Now, that didn't sit well with others who had immigrated from Italy. Many of them were Mussolini supporters, and George was known for all intents and purposes to be on their shit list. In fact, George had been threatened with fire before Emily. Okay. According to the Smithsonian Magazine, just a couple of months before the tragic fire, a guy came by the house attempting to sell George, wait for it, fire insurance. Oh. Now, George at the time didn't see any need to have fire insurance, and he declined the man's offer, which apparently seriously pissed the guy off. And the man also didn't take well to George's vocal criticism of Mussolini. And he said to George, quote, your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Wow, right? <laughs> A private investigator would later reveal that this same man served on the coroner's jury that established this fire as an accident. Wow. Say it with me. Sus. Sus. There was also a theory posed by a number of residents in Fayetteville. And years later, this was backed by some of the surviving Sodder children that the mafia in Sicily was involved. Now, the town's residents were convinced that the mafia was trying to extort money from George and that the children were taken as collateral if you will. The theory goes that the kids were likely taken by someone that they may have known and trusted, as we've seen many times before in previous cases, mm -hmm. and were brought back to the country of Italy as a form of payment for the debt that they believed George Sodder owed. That's icky. Right. There was all... And if, if look, if those kids got all the way to Italy then that might explain why nobody had any sightings of them or, you know, heard anything about them right. in the aftermath because they were across an ocean. There was also a report that five children showed up at a diner around 50 miles outside of Fayetteville the morning of the fire with two guys who were reportedly looking like they were Italian. They're really trying to they're really trying to sell this they were kidnapped by the Italian mafia. And again, it's just a theory, but to my knowledge, the theory never really went anywhere. Right. Other than pure speculation, no evidence has ever been found of the kids living in Italy. Uh could it have happened? Yeah. Did it? Probably not. Who knows? Probably not. But something worth mentioning. Yeah. So the Sodders were frustrated with the local authorities lack of interest in determining what happened to their children 
So they put up this giant billboard on the edge of their property and next to the highway in 1952. I believe it was Route 16. Mm-hmm. And it had pictures of each of the five children on it. It was one of those billboards, you know, some some billboards you just drive by and you don't even notice them. Others have some sort of message or a picture on them that stays with you. And obviously, this was one of them. Right. Yeah. And it said many things on it over the years. I believe it was up for over 30 years. Wow. But what it said at first was, what was their fate? Kidnapped? Murdered? Or are they still alive? So the billboard created a lot of buzz, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. not only around this small town, but to passersby who happened to be traveling to different parts of the country. They initially offered a $5,000 reward on the billboard. And although George and Jenny received a number of tips from around the US, some of them kind of interesting, I'm not really going to go into that right now because most of them really didn't hold a lot of water to them. Right. However, a number of years later, when they upped the reward money to 10 grand. That's a lot of money for back then. Yeah. Even the 5,000. Right. Well, then a tip came in and it was a photograph, a photograph of their son, Louie. What? So, Emily, the most credible evidence that the Sodder children survived the fire came 23 years later, 1967, in the form of a photograph with a note on the back. Now, it was postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, and had no return address. And when Jenny opened up the picture inside, she saw a picture of a man in his 30s who bore an uncanny resemblance to their son, Louis, who also, by the way, would have been in his 30s at the time. Right. And on the back of the photograph was written, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, little boys, A91032 or 35. Now, what the hell? What does that mean? Yeah. Nonsense? Maybe. But as it turns out, Emily, 91032 is also a zip code in, wait for it, Sicily. Oh. 
By the way, I also found out it's also a zip code in San Francisco, California. And I think this is just a coincidence, but um, in the zip code, a street or an, yeah, an avenue named Italy Avenue runs on that zip code. Now, could these things be a coincidence? Absolutely. Right. Sometimes people tend to find meaning in something that maybe has no meaning simply because you're so desperate to find something to hold on to. But again, definitely worth mentioning. And they were convinced that this was Louis. So much so that they blew up that photo of him Mm -hmm. and stuck it on the billboard. The family hired another private detective to go to Central City as well and look into this Louis guy. But here's the weird thing. This this detective never reported back to the Sodders and they were never able to locate him again afterwards, which is weird. Where'd they go? Right. George told the Charleston Gazette the next year that uh, the lack of information that they had been getting was hitting them pretty hard. And he said it was, quote, like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. He said, time is running out for us in another interview, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them, which any parent would want. Right. I mean, talk about misery. It, it was 24 years at this point, not knowing what had happened to five of your children. Sadly, George passed away the next year. In 1969. Now, Jenny and her surviving children, I should say her surviving children, except for her son, John, who John never talked about the night of the fire to anybody. And he also said that the family should accept what happened, what happened and move on with their lives. So he was kind of the outlier, but the rest of the kids were all in on finding their brothers and sisters. They were looking to seek answers to all of the questions that they had. And after George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home, constantly looking at leads, hiring detectives. She uh, put up fencing around her home and kept changing the billboard to different slogans. And how about this? I couldn't believe this. For the rest of Jenny's life, So, from 1945 onwards, she wore black every single day as a sign of mourning for her kids. That is so sad. Yeah. But also can relate on wearing black every day. Yeah. I mean. For different reasons, however. Yeah, you wear black almost all the time and you're not in mourning that I know of. Maybe you're in mourning of something. I am in mourning for my youth. You're in mourning of having to get up in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, she wore black in mourning for the rest of her life. And she also tended that garden at the site of the former house for the rest of her life. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the life of this poor woman? No. She dedicated her life to finding her kids and sadly... She never did. After her death in 1989, 
the family finally took the weathered billboard down. Now, I just labeled this part other notes. In August of 1949, George got this guy named Oscar Hunter, who was a pathologist, to do a new search through the dirt at the site of the fire. Mm -hmm. And they searched through everything. They found all kinds of different stuff, little coins, a dictionary, and also several small bone fragments were unearthed. And these fragments of bone were later determined to be of human. In fact, it was like a human vertebrae, right? A child. Well, so they were sent to a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution. Pretty credible place, I would say. Uh, you know, some, <laughs> some people have heard of the Smithsonian. Down the street at the Smithsonian, yeah, you, know. you know. The Smithsonian confirmed these to be lumbar vertebrae. And they were all from the same person. Quote, since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. That's what the report said. Mm -hmm. It also said, quote, the top limit of age should be about 22 since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. Now, I'm not a pathologist. I don't understand all of that, but I do understand that if you're 23 or older, these bones probably, you know, they're probably of somebody else. That's what I'm saying. Right. So given this age range, it was not very likely that the bones were from any of the five missing children, since the oldest of them was Maurice. And Maurice was about 14 at the time of the fire. Yeah. So this report also added that the bones did not show any sign of exposure to flame. He added that it was, quote, very strange that the bones were the only ones found since a wood fire of such short duration should have left skeletons of all of the children behind. Right. So I wanted to throw that in there because, yeah, they did find human bones. But in my opinion, it sounds like those bones were there before the fire even started. And who did they belong to? Who knows? Some poor unfortunate <laughs> soul. It was also found that there were many barrels of gasoline in the basement for George Sauter's job. Now, could this gasoline have accelerated the fire and maybe made it burn hotter than it normally would? Yes. Probably. Did it accelerate it enough to incinerate bodies and skeletons? No. I don't know enough about that. I doubt it. All of the Sodder children have now since died. Sylvia was the last to die. Remember, she was the toddler 
at the time of the fire, and uh, she passed away just a couple of years ago. So this is one that remains a mystery. There's some people on both sides. We put this out on social media when we aired part one last week, and there were a number of different theories. In fact, I should look some of these up. Oh. Yeah, what do you got? Okay, so this is what I found. <clears throat> a body a, to burn like bone yes. in like like a crematorium type deal. It mm-hmm. needs to be at least 1,292 degrees Fahrenheit. And then this here says natural gas and propane burn at 3560 degrees fahrenheit so maybe but what kind of but like this is gasoline right i believe it was diesel yeah so we put this up on socials a few days ago and there were a lot of people reacting to this one comment was i think they got lost in the fire the bodies simply were not found in the rubble i mean they did pretty thoroughly and extensively go through that a number of times. Um, Yes, George did make the mistake of covering it all up only a week after the fire, but they looked it over pretty well a number of times after that. Another comment said, I think someone took him, but it'd mostly, most likely be somebody they knew. Um, Another comment says, this case reminds me of the short family murders and the attempt in the attempted abduction of Mennonite children, both occurring in Virginia, which sounds interesting. I've never heard of the short family murders. I don't know about you. Um, I don't, I don't know. I can't, you know, unfortunately there are so many of these cases to go over and to tell, like I would need to just like kind of read a synopsis or something to yeah. to know if they've heard it or not because sometimes the names just and I suck at names to begin with so sometimes they just all kind of yeah jumble together you still barely remember my name I know. sometimes you're like hey you yeah another comment said i thought of this recently and wondered if they did survive and were abducted Would there be evidence of that if someone from the family who's alive today uploaded their DNA to Ancestry or something to build a family tree? If they survived and some of them had children or something, I don't know, might be unrealistic, but that's actually a damn good idea. I hadn't thought of that. But the case is old enough now where if the kids did survive, lived a full life, their DNA is probably out there. They likely had kids. Their kids even ha- probably had kids at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and yeah, and I mean, like, these DNA things have already been instrumental in solving murders and finding long-lost relatives. Emily, and- if anybody wants to talk about this case further like some of the comments we read and maybe give us their ideas on what happened to the Sodder children, they can always go on our socials. Yeah. Come tell us your thoughts on Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast, 
You can also do so on Facebook, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Send us an email, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon page where you can get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And, you know, our ratings on Apple Podcasts specifically have been a little slow lately. So if you would be so kind to leave us a five-star review, we would love that. And also don't forget to subscribe or follow and share us with your friends. And we will talk to you again next week. In the meantime, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. My God, what was that? <laughs> I I, oh I laughed and like I spit a little, so I had to quickly <laughs> get it back I mean, in. You, it was some spittle. I you spittled. had some spittle. The spit I spat. Well, it's better than the shit you shat. <laughs> that was good. If this doesn't land me on an FBI watch list. I was thinking about that when I was Googling this, actually. Actually, when I was Googling pineapple bomb, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Could this gasoline have accelerated gasoline? the house fire? Did I say gasoline? It sounded um, like you said gasoline. Well, he said he did actually find something. What did he find? According to him, he found a human heart. A what? A what? It's a heart. It's this thing inside your body. So, like, basically, it just pumps to keep the blood flowing. I know what a heart is. As an accident. What? Say it with me. Uh, super sus. You can't. You can't. All right. One, two, three, sus. Ready? One, two, Three. Sus. Sus. Okay. The the problem is is there's always a delay. But you can't say say it with me and then add super at the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dummy. I'm not an expert, but I did read in a number of places that maybe it could have. Are you taking a selfie right now? No. You yes you are. <laughs> See, I, you know how I know that? Because A, you fixed your hair before you held the phone up to you. And B, my co-host at work takes about 40 selfies a day. Some poor unfortunate soul. Poor like unfortunate soul. Is that a song? What? Are you kidding? Wait, wait, sing me some more. Wait, hold on. I can't think of any more. <laughs> the Little Mermaid, Ursula. Oh, yeah. Jeez. I do know that. Criminy. I've never... I don't think I've ever seen you in the morning, but I know that you're... I can just tell by looking at you that you're not a morning person. No. I always have been because I'm forced to be. Even when I had a job that, like, required me to arrive at 6 a.m., I was 
Like, nobody spoke to me until at least eight. My mom's that way. She has to have at least, like, two cups. Even when I go to visit her, you don't dare talk to her until she has a couple cups of coffee (laughs) or she'll snap at you. Can't relate. And I remember as a kid, my sister and I were just talking about this on the phone. Vivid memories of, like, my mom stumbling down the stairs, barely coherent. Because she hadn't had her coffee yet. (laughs) Yeah. And my dad who I inherited a lot of this would like tease her right away and make some sort of joke. And then it was like Mount Vesuvius erupting or something. (laughs) She'd get so mad at him. Oh God. Man is so lucky. She never unalived him. Honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I so pale. You ever seen that uh, like TikTok clip? these two news anchors are on the air and like when you go on the air there's like a red light in the camera but this girl Mm -hmm. wasn't paying attention and she's like looking the other way and she's like looking at herself and she's like I so pale and the other girl like nudges her and she's like you're on the air and she's like four people died today (laughs) yes (laughs) and the other girl's like next to her laughing After that, that the fire had been set deliberately. Dun, dun, dun. By whomst? Whomst indeed, Emily. Whomst indeed. I feel like if you were to see the person doing it, you'd be like, whomst, there it is. <laughs> I didn't even know they existed. I need some energy, so but I'd go all out. Yeah, but like Red Bull is disgusting. It's host coconut, so <laughs> so it's like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Red Bull gives you a ring, wings. Rings, like it proposes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>